Welcome to How They Get Stuff Done, where we ask successful people about the productivity habits behind their success. Side effects of listening to this show may include elevated levels of motivation, acute feelings of inspiration, and lasting improvements to your productivity. Now, here's your host, Peter Akis. Hey, folks. Today, I'm speaking with Steph Smith. Steph is a growth marketer, writer, and indie maker. She works for The Hustle, helping to run one of the world's largest newsletters. But she has lots of her own projects, too. She's written a book about content marketing. She runs an online course about time management. And she has a podcast about, quote, shit you don't learn in school, unquote. When I first encountered Steph, I think it was on Twitter, I sense that she and I have very similar views on productivity, so I was keen to get her on the podcast. Steph and I discuss why in the past there was no such thing as priorities, just the singular priority, Steph's method for choosing which goal to work on next, which I thought was a really lovely way of looking at things, why asynchronous communication is often more efficient, and how Steph does that, whether you should set arbitrary deadlines for yourself, uh, Steph likes them, I don't, and much more. So enjoy the show. Hey, Steph, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So when I was doing some background research on you, Steph, like I do for all of my guests, I saw that you um, identify yourself as a few different things in terms of work that you do. But rather than trying to describe that for you, I'm going to ask you if someone comes up to you at a party and they ask you, what do you do? What do you reply? Well, that's a good question because that does happen. And even with my family, people ask, you know, what do you do? Because they feel like I'm always changing jobs or always working on new things. And I just Mm -hmm. most of the time say I work in marketing and that normally (laughs) captures most of the stuff I do. And people seem to understand that because I do think that if I were to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, I write, but I also like taught myself to code and I work for this media company, it starts to get a little confusing. So I normally just say I work in marketing. And do people uh, follow up on that? Or is that the kind of thing where you go to a party and you're like, I'm a lawyer and people, you know, they don't want to talk to you. Or maybe they ask for marketing advice. I don't know. You know what? I I don't think anyone's actually asked me for marketing advice when I say that I work in marketing. Sometimes they'll ask what kind of marketing. But actually, I think Hmm. most of the time, if you work in marketing, you realize the depth. There's like content marketing. There's product marketing. There's different types of, you know, direct conversion marketing. There's all types of marketing if you're in the space, but when you're outside the space, I'm sure when I say I work in marketing, people think I'm probably doing billboards or something, which obviously yeah. is not what I'm doing. But uh, yeah, I don't really, I haven't experienced too much questioning once I say marketing from people who don't work in the space. No, that's good. And and people are probably imagining maybe that you're working for some big firm or something like a Mad Men style, you know, creating <laughs> uh, TV ads. Or <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but so I saw you have a very open website where you you really give a lot of information about yourself, including about some of your goals, which I want to get into later. But so I read a little bit about you studied chemical engineering, if I'm correct, and then went into management consulting. So I can see how that happened, because I feel like, you know, people in management consulting, they're just looking for like smart people. But how did you go from management consulting into, let's say, marketing then? Yeah, so I spent around a year, actually less than a year in management consulting. And early on in that role, I I actually really enjoyed it. I learned a lot there and the work itself was interesting, but Mm -hmm. there was a bunch of life aspects to it. I was commuting two hours a day. I was living in Toronto and I really wanted to find a remote job. So I think actually just several months into that job, I realized I need to find something remote. And 
unfortunately, at that time, now I feel a lot of things are online and, and remote, but no consulting firms were remote. I couldn't find yeah. a single job in that space. So I was like, okay, I need to find something new. And I just started going on remote job boards and I didn't know how to code at the time. I certainly wasn't a designer. There was only a few different types of roles that were really hiring remotely. And the one bucket that seemed even a little bit overlapping, which wasn't really overlapping, was marketing. And mm -hmm. I spent the greater part of that year doing different types of consulting for companies as a marketer, but just like really, really entry level work, like helping a little bit with SEO or running a brand social media account and just like dipping my mm. toes in wherever someone would allow me to. Because again, I had basically no experience. Yeah. And then by that point, I had enough kind of side projects or consulting work, contract work with different companies that it also was a little bit of luck. I was able to get a digital marketing role on a growth team. But I found out later that one of the reasons I got that role was because they were actually doing somewhat of a test where they had hired a bunch of really, really experienced people before that who had, you know, five, 10 years of experience in a particular space in marketing. What they found was that those people, not all of them, but quite a few of them were really good at their niche, what they knew. But then when they had to expand past that, and since it was a kind of startup growing company, they really struggled to be creative uh -huh. and apply it to different areas. And so they said, we're actually just going to hire three people from really different backgrounds, not marketing specific <laughs> backgrounds. So they hired me from consulting. They hired another yeah. girl who was a developer and another guy who came from investment banking. And they hired us three. Two of us worked out. But anyway, that was, I would say, even though I had built up those different like contract projects and a little bit of experience, I got really lucky that someone kind of just gave me a shot. And that was my entrance into marketing. And how long did you stay in that position? Because now you work independently, right? So how long did you stay there? Well, so I actually since then have had a full-time job at different companies. So I was, mm. that was at a company called TopTel. I was on their growth team for around two years. And then I was promoted to lead their publications team, which I also did for over a year. So I was at that company for around three years. And then I joined The Hustle, which that was in, I guess, 2019. And I've been there for around two years. And I've always been involved in their trends product. And now we're acquired by HubSpot. So I guess now I work for some big tech company, but I've... I guess I've been working full-time in marketing for the past five or so years. Maybe that should be your open red parties. I work for HubSpot, probably in, yeah, in the right city. People would know what that is. I was going to say it's the only company I think I've ever worked for where, you know, a kind of critical mass would understand or recognize it. Yeah, yeah. And so for people who don't know what the hustle is, this is a rather large newsletter, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think the last time we have announced or shared our numbers publicly. It was one and a half million subscribers on the list. And it's, yeah, a daily email about business and tech. And then that's free and comes out daily. Trends is our premium product that comes out weekly and costs money. And that's the product that I've been working on for a while. Right. And aside from that, you, you still doing some of those independent projects or is this like, this is plenty of work for you? <laughs> well, yeah, I work on tons of my own projects. I think that's something that I just enjoy doing. So even if I do get paid full time at companies ever since even at TopTel, I had been working on side projects. And so I definitely still work on my own projects. I launched a course recently. And I wrote a book last year. I think those are my two most recent projects. Yeah. So let's dive into those things a little bit, because after all, I do you know, like to chat to people about their productivity habits. Why don't we start here? If I ask you, how would you measure your productivity? How, what would you say? How do you decide how productive you are? As in, do I feel like I'm productive or how would I actually measure that? Yep. 
the feeling or if you want to use numbers, that's fine also. But how do you decide for yourself? If I've asked you, right, has your past past month been pretty productive? You know, what do you, how do you decide whether it's yes or no? Yeah. So that's a great question because I think a lot of the time we feel productive and we're not. And that's because a lot of the time we measure our productivity by how much time we're spending on things. So how mm-hmm. busy we are. But most things that we do in life don't actually get us any closer towards our goals. So the kind of definition of productivity that I like to think of is how how effectively are you moving towards your goals in ideally as short a time as possible, right? And so there's a time element, but it's not just how much time you're you're putting in because I like to say busyness is if you go back to our kind of like ninth grade physics class, it's a scalar, right? You can spend all day doing something and spending that time, but not move anywhere. And so what I think is important to answer the question of how productive you are is how clearly defined are your goals, right? Because you can't measure if you're moving towards your goals if you don't actually know what those are. And then once you've defined your goals, you need to ask, yes, this question of how effective was I at closing that gap of this distant goal that I have? And have I actually made progress towards it or not, regardless of whether I spent one hour or 40 hours in a week? And so that's how I like to think about it. And at the end of a given week or month, those are the kind of questions that I'm asking, like, what are the things that I actually have done that have progressed me towards this goal, whether it's publishing a course or moving closer to an MRR rate that I'm um, trying to target versus just how much stuff did I do or how many boxes did I take off my to-do list? So I don't know if that answers your questions, but that's how I think of productivity. And I think just like everyone, my actual productivity in terms of evaluating myself is all over the place. There's some months where I'm incredibly productive and move towards my goals. And there's some months where I'm very busy, but realistically did not move any closer towards my goals. No, I mean, yes, that was totally the answer that I was hoping to hear. I love it. That's, that's pretty much how I define productivity. And, and listeners of the podcast and people who've taken one of my courses will know that that's like the first thing that I always talk about. Because, you know, Peter, people will be like, Peter, how, how can I be more productive? And I'm like, whoa, 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 <laughs> let's step back. What are your goals? So let's talk about your goals a little bit then. So you have a nice page on your website where you list all of your goals by the year, which is actually very cool. So you can go back to I think, 2019. And so listeners can go find this. We'll put the link in the show notes. People can see what you're doing. First of all, what is your goal setting process? Like, how do you actually come up with your list of goals for a specific year? Yeah, so it's changed over time, but I think the one thing that stuck with me is there are around, there's probably more than this, but I say around six different areas of your life. I will not be able to recite all six, but things like relationships is one, right? Career Mm -hmm. is another one. Health is another one. And so there's, for me, when I go through this exercise, around six different key areas of my life. And what I do is I rate them around quarterly and I take, you know, brief notes about how I'm doing across each of those elements. And so as I'm rating them, I'm taking note of not just how I feel currently, but how has that changed over time, right? Because I look back if I'm tracking it quarterly or at least yearly, I'm seeing, you know, oh, I used to be at a five in terms of my health and now I'm at an eight. That's great. Or it could be vice versa, right? Where all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I've totally let this thing go. And I try to identify when I do those exercises, what are the areas of my life that I'm really just, I'm not satisfied with that score. If I'm really honest with myself and I'm saying, you know what, I should care about my health and I want to be the type of person that cares about my health, but why is it a five, right? And so I try to figure those things out first. And then once I figured out the the really kind of like macro areas of my life that I want to focus on, then I drill that down into, you know, more tangible goals like, oh, I want to work out 50% of the year or something like that. And so I think what a lot of people 
do is they, when they set goals, they perhaps don't come at it from a macro lens or even you could zoom out even further, but from the perspective of their values. They're just like chasing goals and they're not really asking like, what kind of person do I want to become or what kind of person do I want to wake up to in 10 years and like look at myself in the mirror as. So that's how I set goals. And then as you'll see on the open page, it's all over the place in terms of what those actually look like over time. But that's kind of how I get there. Yeah. Music to my ears. I especially love the focus on the values, which sometimes I like to say to people like the why behind your goals, right? So, you know, it's great. You want to lose weight. Why? Tell me why. You know, this is exactly because it's, yeah. Yeah, for motivation, right? It's important for motivation and also to know the action steps. So action steps we'll get to in a second. But I want to talk about one example that you mentioned. So for example, you said you want to exercise a certain amount of days per year, right? So you do this, you look at that different areas of your life and you say, okay, I want to focus a little bit more on my health. And then you say, you know what, this is a good goal. I'm going to try to exercise half the days or whatever, any example goal. That's great. But how do you decide then to focus on this as opposed to some business goal you might have? Because we all have limited time. We all have limited energy, right? So you could focus on this. You could also focus more on making new friends. You could also focus on like learning some other new skill. How do you actually decide this one is more important to me right now? You know, that's the golden question, right? Because at the end of the day, as I think you're alluding to, we all want to do everything. We all want to achieve so many things in life. Yeah. And we're all, you know, interested in eight different things at the same time. And this mm -hmm. is actually, I will say, the number one issue that I've had in my life. And I think other people as well, because the recent course that I did is called Doing Time Right. I asked people, I do this presentation, I ask everyone, what do you think is the number one thing that's stopping you from reaching your goals? It's always the same answers. Not it's enough always time. not enough time, <laughs> procrastination, doing too many things yeah. at once. It's all these things that it's basically we're preventing ourselves from hitting our goals because yeah. of things like focusing on too many things. And that would be the one area for myself. And you'll if you read any of my urine reviews, that's like the theme most of the time is focus on too many things. But basically in order to achieve the things that I want, I'm coming to terms with this idea that I simply cannot achieve everything in my life, right? When you're younger, mm. you have, or at least I had this perspective of like, I can always add on more, I can always pile on more. Anything that comes into my life that is a new goal, I can just layer it on. And obviously yeah. that only works to a certain extent. And I've now hit that <laughs> breaking point where I realized, <laughs> okay, I'm actually trying to do too much. And therefore in trying to go in so many different directions, I mentioned physics earlier, if you're on a bicycle and you're trying to get to a destination, you know you physically can't go in four different directions at the same time. Like it, it doesn't physically make sense. But we try to do this for some reason in our like goals and approaching them. And so yeah. what I try to do is even though I have, for example, let's say three to five goals this year that I want to hit, I try to do them more sequentially. And I try to do them in a way where something like exercise is a little harder because you do want to like exercise every day throughout your life or or, yeah. or consistently throughout your life so it's not like a sequential like do it for a month and then stop but I try to focus every month for example like what's my number one priority and then actually make progress in there maybe even distill the habit so that it, it continues with me in cases like exercise and then once I've mastered something like that then I move on to the next goal and it's not as obviously as perfect as I'm articulating it I still struggle with trying to focus on too many <laughs> things but I think it is important to ultimately ask what your number one priority is. And I think you probably know this as someone who's interested in this space. But what a lot of people don't know is the background of the word priorities was singular up until around the 1940s. No one ever mm. used the term priorities, plural. I did not know that. 
Yeah, so you can look it up. If I think it's like Google Ngram, where you can see the prevalence of a word over mm -hmm. time. And if you look up priority and priorities, priority has existed at least since 1800. You can see it sure. on the graph. Priorities was flatline zero. No one was using it because at the end of the day, what priority means, it's precedence. It's what comes first. But then we've yeah. used this word. We've expanded it in a way to say not just what comes first, but what are the many things that comes first? And as people right. say, if everything's a priority, then nothing is. So again, I'm not always great at this, but I try to at least, especially more and more these days, ask like, what what is the number one thing that I want to focus on this month? Execute on that. And then you know, expand over time, but not expand all at once because that, as I said, you just simply can't move in so many directions at the same time. Yeah, and there's a lot to unpack there. You touched on one-off goals versus ongoing goals, which I want to talk about a little bit. I still want to press you a bit more on how do you actually decide what is your number one priority? So I totally get what you're saying, right? You're saying, I could spend some time working on, you know, establishing a workout routine or something. I could spend some time on such and such. But in the end, how do you arrive at, okay, it is going to be my goal to, you know, work out the half. Like, like how does yeah. that end up being your focus in the moment? So, of course, I'm not perfect at this. And again, a lot of the things that I'll say will come off cross like, oh, she's got it together. And I certainly don't. But the way that I try to think about it and the way that, like, in a perfect world, I am always operating this way mm -hmm. is thinking about it from an order of operations in which what can I unlock first that will help me unlock the rest? So for example, mm. if I am in terrible shape and I like can't wake up in the mornings because I'm just groggy and like my body's in mm -hmm. terrible shape, that's gonna make everything else worse, right? And so it's like that, that probably is gonna be one of the first things I'm gonna try to unlock. Again, I'm not perfect. So this is actually probably the one area that I constantly have to like revisit because I, I let it slip. But there, yeah. another example is for, you know, you have money and, and passive income is something that I am pursuing because if I can unlock passive income, that gives me the space to focus on all of these other things without worrying yeah. about money. So it's again, not perfect, but that's how I try to think about it. What can I unlock first so that, it basically enables the rest of my goals to be achieved a little more easily. Yeah, what a fantastic way of looking at it. I'd never thought of phrasing it that way, but it's essentially what I do as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, it is, it is, and the passive income thing resonates with me a lot because I've been sort of making a living from, quote, passive. I like to call it delayed income. Yes, um, exactly. You know, yeah, it's, never, it's never passive. Yeah. It's not like you sit on your butt. Yeah. Okay. So for the past three months, I've been enjoying the summer and I didn't do that much work. But before that, in the three years, I did a lot of work. So the fact that money keeps coming in is like, <laughs> exactly. not because I like was on a sailboat. Yeah. And so, and so I love that. That's a great way of approaching it. Cause I do think people feel like, look, there are these five areas of my life where I have big goals and I want to see big improvement, but you can't do all of them. But if you think about what can sort of unblock you and definitely like getting your finances to a point where you don't have to worry about money, that's obviously going to make you feel a lot more relaxed, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, health is a, is a great one. And so for me, sometimes there's, you know, there's even like physical health, there's also mental health. So like, yes. it could also be okay. Like my goal is to really enjoy my summer and not do that much work. Cause that could also be something that's just good for like the long term, right? Exactly. And long term is important. Like you said, it's ultimately like when we think of productivity, I think a lot of people think uh, uh, about kind of like the micro instance of how do I yeah. move faster, but ultimately no one really ever achieves success, whether success is in your personal life or your career over a short period of time. We'd like to think that way because we do every so often there's an outlier of overnight success, but it ultimately is for 
most people, 99.99% of people are very long haul. And therefore, if you really are thinking of productivity, it shouldn't be, what can I do right now to move faster? It's really, yeah, how can I set up this journey in the course we talk about basically it being the equivalent of a cross-country journey. On mm. a cross-country journey, you're not there thinking, how do I pedal faster? You're thinking about, how do I reduce all the things that I don't need to bring with me? How do I make sure I yeah. have the right map? And so those are really more so the questions we should be asking instead of how do I move faster? Yeah, no, absolutely. So if you are thinking about how am I going to achieve this, right? So now we're talking about action steps rather than the goals, because this is something that I always love to talk to people about. It's very easy make a list of goals. This is what I want to achieve this year, but what are you going to do about it? So what does that process look like for you? So let's say you have decided this year, I want to make a certain amount in monthly recurring revenue. How does that translate into you actually taking action? What is the connection between the goal and the I'm sitting down doing something? Yeah. So the MRR goals are a little harder because not everything you will try will work, right? So if you set a running goal, and you show up to run, it's like, you can yeah. check that box. With MRR, it's, you have to test a bunch of things. And actually, yeah. in my first couple of years of setting MRR goals, I didn't hit them. But what I try to yeah. do overall for the goals is make sure that it's such a simple tactic. I'm sure you use it all the time, but it's just time blocking. So I personally have a full-time job. I know a lot of other people do too, and they have these personal goals they're also trying to hit. I mm -hmm. make sure to, to allocate time to it, right? So you can't necessarily ensure the outputs, but you can ensure the inputs. And I also try to use my psychology to my advantage. And for example, everyone or most people are familiar with Parkinson's law where time expands to the mm -hmm. um, time that <laughs> you can allocate to it. And yeah. in the case of the course, for example, or the book that I wrote, I know that if I pursue an ambitious goal, like writing a book or creating a course, and I just have kind of vague deadlines, or it's just kind of on my goal list, I'm never actually going to approach it. So I set really, really concrete, although arbitrary deadlines were, for example, the book I wrote that in seven weeks, the course I, I created in 20 days, because I know if I let it go for much longer than that, even though it is a kind of a grueling period, it will never get launched, right? It'll just continue right. to trickle on. And so I try to, again, focus on things in really like concrete, discrete periods of time. And it's not, again, perfect, but that that is actually something that I, I think I incorporate maybe better than the average person because I think they don't, as simple as it sounds, they don't allocate time to what they actually say that they want to accomplish. Yeah, no, honesty with yourself is a big part of this, right? And this is something that I like to emphasize with people as well. It's like, why don't we start by looking at what you're doing right now? You know, like what, because you're probably spending a whole lot of time on things that don't add that much value. That's why I also love asking people, what does your deep work? I mean, yeah, you're probably familiar with the concept of deep work, right? So, yeah, exactly. You know, but even if you're familiar with the concept, have you, have you made a list of like, for you, what is it and what yes. is it not? It's but, funny but because I, I as you're saying, t productivity is like, it sounds like this fuzzy thing. But there are so many simple things that you can do. Like, yeah. as you said, just even a, just an audit of how you spend your time. And then one of the things that I like to do is just, I think there are three types of actions where we talked about moving towards your goals. There's things that move you towards your goals. There's things that kind of don't really move you anywhere. And then there's things that move you away from your goals. And mm. the kind of sneakiest or most detrimental because they take up so much of our time are actually the middle one where we feel like we're moving towards our goals, but yeah. we're not actually doing anything. And so you can even, like you said, just really simple exercise, just write down how you spent your week. Just write down how much time you allocated to each thing and ask yourself, was anything that kind of is at the top of that list, anything you've spent more than an hour on, did it really move you towards your goals? And then you can yeah. ask yourself whether you can A, eliminate it, 
B, if you can't eliminate it, automate it in some way. If you can't automate it, delegate it in some way. And then really at the end of that process, you should have hopefully gotten rid of all of the kind of not productive things that aren't moving your tor you towards your goals tasks. And so I, again, it's not rocket science, but I think you're, you're right. I just wanted to mention that some of the ways that we can be a lot more productive and people can get towards their goals are not revolutionary. They're literally just auditing and being kind of self-critical about how we're spending our time and, and addressing them and just being willing to just like wipe things away if they're not actually bringing us value. Yeah, it does require also a certain confidence, I think. And what I mean is by confidence that the things that you want, you're, you let yourself pursue them. So there are things yeah. that I want and I articulate them. And, you know, it took me years to actually feel comfortable with like, it's fine if I want to pursue this. So when I first started doing this online business thing, I was just like, I never want another job again. Because I like my history is also in consulting. I totally burned out from that. You know, we could talk about that for a long time. But right. I was like, I never want another job again. And so I want to make money online in a quote, passive way. We've talked about that uh, delayed way. And so you know, there, a lot of people are like, oh, are you sure about that? Shouldn't you like get a job in the meantime or whatever? You know, but like for me, it was very important to say, no, this is something I want to do. I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to give myself permission to really give it a shot. So I think a lot of the times people have these kind of goals where they kind of feel like, yeah, you know, is that like a reasonable thing to want, you know, and then you start getting really, you know, and then if you start looking at your time, you're not really allocating time towards achieving those goals because, you know, you haven't really given yourself the permission to like say no to some other things, right? So yeah, um, I, and and I really like what you said about like you know the process is always messier basically than like the way <laughs> yeah. that we're talking about it right now. But I, I do think that even if someone says you know this is my goal and, and and does this exercise, they may see there's a gap between the time they're spending and like the goals that they have. I do think sometimes it requires also just saying you know what I'm gonna give myself permission. <laughs> to I focus like that. On this. No, I like that a lot because I think you're right that. Sometimes also when you're setting goals, you're you're just kind of, you're like, oh, okay, I, I want to move towards this. But then as you're saying, you haven't really like bought into that. You're, you haven't really bought into like the time it requires or that yeah. you're, that you really, yeah, are giving yourself the permission. I like how you phrase that to actually pursue that and to potentially sacrifice something else because our time is zero sum. And so when we're setting goals, we're not thinking about always that zero sum nature of if I'm going to pursue that this, that means that I'm also giving up something along the way. So I think I, I like how you phrase that. Yeah. So like, for example, about a year ago, I was like, okay, I've always been too skinny. I'm going to start lifting weights and I'm going to allow myself to like spend a bunch of money on hiring a personal trainer who's going to teach me how to lift weights. And now I've been doing that for a year and, you know, put on some muscle and I'm very happy about go. it. But Congrats. Like, Thank you. But that's something that like I'd been saying for like 10 years that I wanted to do that and I never made any made any progress on it. But it was when I told myself, okay, I'm going to allow myself to spend money on this. I'm going to like get someone else's help which is also a big one but also I know that therefore I will sometimes have to prioritize going to the gym I can do less work maybe I'll come back exhausted whatever it means that my business won't grow as fast as it otherwise will and it, but I kind of had to accept that first yes before it worked out yeah have you heard of uh, money dysmorphia this is uh, no. not fully related but it's tangential to what you're saying which is just it reminded me of how certain things we have to unlearn. And one of them for me is spending money on things that will actually help me advance my life. So uh. whether it's like a better bed or like you said, you know, just being okay with making less money in one area of your life because you're investing yeah. that time elsewhere. But as someone who didn't grow up super wealthy, I've always struggled to spend money. And it's, it's interesting mm -hmm. that like you're saying, you kind of just have to 
acknowledge it, acknowledge that you have certain habits from your past. And then also just like give yourself permission to be like, you know what, I'm I'm okay to spend money on X, Y, or Z, even though I'm not used to it. It's actually benefiting my life. And you almost have to, as silly as it sounds, just give yourself permission and be really yeah. like discreet about it and be like, you're spending money on this. Like, and I'm giving myself permission to do something that I just, for some reason, don't feel ready to do, even though I know it would benefit me. Totally. And, you know, it also works to get someone else's permission. So like you yeah. can, if you have a partner, you can also talk to your partner and be like formally, you know, the, the, do you know that scene from The Office where Michael Scott declares bankruptcy? Do, oh, you, yeah. Are you familiar yeah, with yeah. This? So like I declare bankruptcy. You can like have your partner <laughs> say this. I hereby give you permission to like, you know, like if you need exactly. help from other people, get help from other people. Um, yeah. So. Uh, you mentioned something earlier that I kind of wanted to touch on, which is very interesting to me because you mentioned that some of your goals have numbers. And again, everybody can see this on your website. For example, you're trying to hit a certain monthly recurring revenue goal. And you mentioned the difference between input and output goals. So I, I find that fascinating because you said, for example, if you go running, it's kind of, you can have an input goal. I'm going to go running X times a week or something like that. But for money, it's an output goal. And yes. the difference, of course, being that you control the input, You the output is depends on a bunch of factors, luck, whether there's a global pandemic, whatever, all kinds of things, right? Mm. So why do you have some goals that are output goals? Like I want to have this much revenue, for example. You know, that's actually a good question because at the end of the day, those are the outcomes that I want, but ultimately things that, yes, you can't fully control. And so it would be interesting mm. to do an exercise this coming year of just what are the inputs? What are the input goals that yeah. I can actually have a handle on and I know I can achieve? That's a, I might even just do that in this upcoming year because something I truly believe in is that if you if you do the inputs and you choose the right inputs, that's obviously important. Then the outputs will solve for themselves, right? And Eventually, so right? They exactly the 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 question mark is the timeline that they solve for yeah. themselves. So that's why sometimes it feels like there's a disconnect, but they do. From my experience, they always solve for themselves if you're put if you're doing the inputs over a period of time, the outputs will come. So that actually is an interesting exercise. The thing that is coming to mind for me now is just that actually the reason that most of my goals, or maybe not most of them, some of them are output goals is because that's how we tend to set goals in our lives. As in, as a society, yeah. we say, I want to get fit. I want to have a business doing X million dollars. I want to get married to the love of my life. We talk about these output goals, but we don't say the equivalent of I'm going to show up every day and build this business for four hours a day, or I'm right. going to go on three dates a week until I meet someone that, you know, I want to yeah. settle down with. So it's actually really interesting that I think we, we are looking for the outputs and that's how we set goals in society, but maybe we should actually focus on the inputs because ultimately that's what we can control and that's what we can feel good about too because something that I want to call out is that when you set these output goals because of, as we talked about, this delta of when the outputs actually solve for themselves, we can feel bad about ourselves even when we're doing a good job um, because we haven't quite seen the outputs on the timeline that we were expecting. Totally. No, absolutely. There's a real sense of satisfaction that you can get. Like if I had said, okay, you know, I want to be able to like deadlift or squat a certain amount of kilos six months into my weightlifting journey, I would have been very upset because the pandemic happened and all the gyms closed. And so I kept yeah. working out, but it was outdoors with my trainer. Like he brought some dumbbells and whatever, but like we couldn't do squats outdoors. And so not heavy squats anyway. So I wouldn't have made that goal. And what, what then? Am I a failure now? <laughs> no, it's just it's what outside of my control, you know, lockdown. But the, the way that I think about this, sometimes it makes sense to have a number, right? For example, like if you're a big fan of like the, the FIRE movement, financial independence yeah. and mm -hmm. early retirement movement, you might exactly. say, like, you know what? 
like I want to have a certain number saved up or invested in index funds or whatever, because that's the number that I calculated. If I have that for the rest of my life, I'll never have to work again. You know, I can just live off the dividends, etc. Then there's a specific number that you calculate and is based on something, like based on how much money you spend in every month, right? I used to be really into that. I'm not so much into that anymore because <laughs> I realized what's the point retiring? Why not just have fun now? But anyway, that's yes, a whole exactly. other discussion. Don't trade today for tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Who knows if I'm going to be around? But so, so I do think output numbers make sense sometimes. But to me, it's all about the action steps. So like for you, for example, you know, really what matters is like, what are you actually doing? In the end, what matters is like, what are you actually doing on your business? You know, and like, yes. you know. How you phrase the goal is is only relevant for me to the extent that it helps you identify the right action steps. Like if you have a poorly phrased goal, for example, you could. I always give you the example: look better. Someone is like, "I want to look better." What does that mean? Do you want like <laughs> to like have a nose job, or do you want to like go to the gym, or do you want to like learn a better skincare routine, or whatever? You know. But if you get a little bit more specific, so for example, you're like, "I want to get rid of some acne," or whatever, then that's a much more specific goal, and the action steps are better. Which brings me to my question: How do you how do you define the action steps? for your goals is that part of your goal setting process or just kind of like along the way you 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 know it becomes obvious what your action steps are i i would say for me it's more the latter but it's Mm. it's interesting in reflecting on some of these questions because i'm kind of like oh yeah should i do something this way or this way and i think when you are defining your goals it may be worth you defining those action steps a little more clearly because that isn't really what i do but that Mm. can help you at the stage where you're setting your goals really evaluate if that's the right goal and if that's even an achievable goal right because you're kind of thinking through the journey there instead of just setting this high level goal and revisiting it later so that may be something i incorporate again but it's it at least for me today the action steps tend to come more kind of in flux like as i'm pursuing a goal and Part of that has, you know, an important nature to it, which, as you said, things can pop up, right? So, like, setting a a clear-cut plan at the beginning doesn't always make sense because things can change. And Mm -hmm. if you... I remember, I I, to this day cannot remember where I read this, but there was this this kind of problem-solving, or there's this exercise in a book, and it was like, let's say you have to kind of seal envelopes, 100 envelopes, and that's your task, right? And should you either figure out how to like put the the card in the envelope, get the sticker, stick it, seal it, and put put the stamp on it. Each like envelope at a at a time, or should you do each step kind of progressively? Like first <laughs> yeah, put yeah. all the cards in and then, you know, all the get stamps. The, exactly. Yeah. And most people, so again, I cannot remember where I got this from. So if someone's listening and they remember where this is from, let me know. <laughs> but most people, including myself, will say, Oh, you should you should do which one was it? It was, you should do each step, like, kind of like batching it, right? So you should, that was my initial reaction. Like, you should put all the cards in first, and then you should move on to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. But at least in this book that I was reading, they said, actually, most of the time it's effective if you do the opposite, because as you're doing the full thing, as you get to the end of something, you realize certain things that, oh, like, maybe I shouldn't have put the card yep. in this way because it actually doesn't totally. fit with this stamp. And so the point that I'm I'm getting to with this example is that often we try to really like plan things out and do things really efficiently. But if we yeah. kind of plan out too far, then what ends up happening is we realize that we didn't accommodate for all of these things that pop up and actually right. our plan and all this extra planning kind of goes to waste because we, we couldn't forecast all of the unknown. So sometimes it is a little better to plan or adjust in flux instead of doing these like master plans beforehand. 
Totally. Yeah, no, I, 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 that's a great point that you don't always know what the action steps are going to be ahead of time. So what I tend to like to do is sort of at, at a very high level, make a little bit of a bullet point list. So for example, one of them was like, okay, establish the habit of going to the gym to lift weights three times a week, you know, and like how you're actually going to do that. There's a lot of, you know, sub things that you get to do. But and other things might be like, well, for a particular goal, like let's say I, I want to like, you know, become a better scuba diver or whatever, you know, because I love scuba diving, I can come up with some high level action steps, for example. So one of them was like a project, you know, buy my own gear. Okay, that comes with its own stuff, like research scuba diving gear, like what the, you know, and so but but if you do that at a high level, I find that that it helps. And I think I guess what I'm hearing from you is you're gonna have to be flexible, right? You can't you can't say the coming three yeah. months, week one, I'm going to work on this week two, week three. I mean, you can do it, but probably somewhere along the way, the reality won't match your expectations. Exactly. It's just, there's so much that can come up. And if you, there's nothing wrong with planning. I think you're absolutely right. Having a high level structure going into something is important, but being flexible to that structure is also important because I've also found that I've done this sometimes where I get an idea and I, I do all of this planning. And then at the end of the day, again, I find that Maybe even like I'm just not interested in this project or something changes and then yeah. I've just wasted because I've planned so far ahead. And so even as a, if we take a step back and think about like life as a whole, I think, of course, there's like importance on thinking about where I want to be in like 5, 10, 20, 30 years. But for the along the same lines, I really don't think much further out than three to six months because at the end of the day, I've learned so many times over that life yeah. gets in the way. And that if you spend all of this time even emotionally investing in these ideas and, and exactly how you think that they're going to turn out and preparing for that, I think most of the time that just goes to waste. Totally, yeah. For the longest time, my girlfriend and I were like, oh, you know, soon we're going to do like, we're going to start traveling indefinitely just all over the world. And then, you know, we were like, oh, we're going to start sometime in 2020. And obviously yeah, that, like didn't, that didn't happen. 2021, exactly. Know? So like, it's, it's going to be a little while before that's a feasible option. But no, to totally agree with you on that. I want to change uh, tax a little a little bit here because one of the things that I'm very interested in that I saw that you are into is automating. Yeah. I saw that there's a variety of ways in, in which you love to automate stuff. So for example, you've tweeted about really enjoying the use of Zapier for people who don't know what Zapier does. It's like a you know, way to sort of connect different apps or services that you use. And if something happens in one, then you can do something in the other. For example, maybe someone leaves some feedback in your course software, you get a little email or it gets put in a Google Sheet or whatever. And personally let me let me tell you how i feel about this <laughs> so personally i feel like people who claim to need help with productivity rarely need automation that's that's what i see so but a lot of people are searching for things so one of the apps that i teach people how to use is called omnifocus which is a task manager and there's sort of, sort of a subgroup of people who really like omnifocus who want to automate it everything that they possibly can. So using, you know, iOS shortcuts or like writing their own little JavaScript snippets or whatever, to just try and automate stuff. And, and I personally love efficiency. However, I just find that the vast majority of the time people are just doing something because it seems cool. So I was wondering, do you have any examples of stuff that you automate in your life where you're like, this is something I automated and it's like saving me a ton of time because I got to like, look for inspiration here. So. Yeah, definitely. Let me pull up because we, we have so many tutorials in the course. I will absolutely agree with you. So I call it tool hell, which is basically, as you're talking about, people become so obsessed with the tools, they forget why they're even using the tools. And then yeah. they also try to find the perfect tool, which at the end of the day, most tools, like you're just really looking for the 80-20 for tooling, yeah. right? Just what will get me far enough. And that's why in most cases you talked about, for example, um, knowledge management. 
people will go like Notion or Rome or Evernote. And I still <laughs> yeah. use Evernote, which people think of as like the grandfather of those So those outdated. Apps. But at the end of the day, it gets me, it gets me to what I need to, to do, right? Like it, it, yeah. it does the job. Is it perfect? No. Are there probably better ones? Sure. But I don't want to spend so long as you're talking about trying to find almost right. like solutions for problems that don't exist. So that's what a lot of people do. And so what I think is important about automation is that you're only solving problems that already exist, right? So exactly. you're not, you're not yes. in search of a problem of what can I automate? I say the same thing. A lot of people, when they think of productivity, they're like, can someone tell me about the perfect like Mac screenshot tool? And I'm like, yeah, that exists. But also like, how much time are you spending on that? And if it's any more than a couple minutes, you know, a month, then like the ROI that's, is not that's there. the problem, right? Like <laughs> yeah. that you shouldn't be spending time on that. So I think that's really important where I agree with you. So the first thing, don't don't create problems in or don't create solutions in search of a problem. So I'll talk about a couple of things that I actually do in, in terms of automation. Really simple ones. Hmm. I would agree with you that they're not gonna like they're not going to completely change your ability to be productive in the sense that at the end of the day, if you automate all of these things, you still need to move towards your goals in the areas that you can control, right? So, so they're not going to fix your life, but I think they can make it a lot simpler. So for all anything that I sell online, we basically use a, a combination of automation and delegation where we don't touch basically like the refunds or the, we actually have to add people to Notion automatically, for example, because the API um, doesn't exist. So we will use a mm. zap that sends all of those orders to our VA in a structured way. They will add those people to the course. So we don't have to touch any of that. We also, for mm. example, in on my team, we we have several meetings where multiple people need to contribute to a slide deck, for example. In the past, we would have someone actually go duplicate that slide deck, send it out to everyone, and then, you know, send a reminder the following day. All of that is done through Zapier. We're actually like in the same drive. It'll duplicate that. It'll send everyone that at a specific time. It'll send them a reminder the following day. And then in that reminder, in that email reminder that says, hey, everyone, we're doing career review, that will have a link to all of the old slide decks. So just like sim simplifying things so people aren't getting pinged you yeah. know, in many ways. There's also, you know, small things like if you run events, for example, and you have a relatively structured template for event images, instead of actually having to go in and recreate event images, you can set up a zap with um, something called Banner Bear, where you set up the template. And then based on just a couple text inputs in a spreadsheet, it's going to spin up that that image. We also automate things like we run a job board. So having like an Airtable form, people just submit to mm. it. It goes yeah. directly into a spreadsheet and then that pulls directly into a job board. Another thing I'll call out is that automation, um, some people don't even realize that, for example, we used Calendly to organize this. Calendly mm -hmm. is a form of automation, right? And I would, what I would yeah. encourage people to do in this realm of taking existing problems and automating them is just Anything that you do repetitively, whether it's scheduling a podcast or otherwise, is to yeah. what I do, what I call documenting a critical path, which a lot of people before Calendly would have said, oh, scheduling is kind of this fuzzy thing. You got to talk to someone. You got to find out their time zones. There's all of these inputs and it's a little like confusing right. and you can't quite automate that. I hear that all the time. You can't quite automate X, Y, or Z because it takes too much human control. And what Calendly did is no, they just documented like, okay, so you need to in order for us to schedule something, these are the pieces of information we need in this order. Right. And then they coded that. And so anything that you can code that's kind of like a decision tree is a form of automation. And most of the time, the reason people think something can't be automated is because they actually just haven't done the work to codify it and say, 
this is the, the decision yeah. tree, right? Because it's just all in their head. And so those are a couple one. I also ones I also do like my goal setting, for example, my my personal goals that I'm tracking are all in a spreadsheet and that is linked directly to my website, for example. So I don't yeah, have to like, I, I push that code, <laughs> for example, email automation. So anything, you know, if people are reaching out to me for link building requests, which I always say no to, I have a filter based on that so that I don't have to respond to that. Or I <laughs> sometimes send a templated response. So there's, again, yeah. I will agree with you absolutely that this, you know, I went through a bunch of examples here where that's not going to make or break your your life if you automate those things or not you still have yeah. to make progress in significant ways outside of that but what i have found is it does actually help clean up your life it just gets rid of all of yeah. the like min minutia that can happen throughout the week yeah. and so that is so i would you know kind of half agree with you and then half also note that it has really helped me in significant ways no totally so so first of all i, I love what you started with which is saying like don't you know grab a solution and go looking for problems because that's the absolute way, worst way to go about it. But something like a Calendly for people who are not familiar, it's like a scheduling tool. I send you a link. You can pick a time on my calendar or whatever, right? It's super handy. And and yeah, like the email marketing can be automated. Obviously, I heavily rely on that. I'm sure you do too, you know, for like selling courses and, and other stuff. So the way that I think about it is like your personality, I think, also has something to do with it. Like, I'm getting the sense that you're quite a structured person. I would also call myself, like, quite a structured person, you know? Like, you set goals, and we're going to, like, follow our goals. And, like, not everybody is like that, right? So, for me personally, it's very important, like you're saying, to clean up some of those little things. Like, if I have lots of random tasks to do here and there, that can really affect me. I think other people may be a little bit more comfortable with that. So, so I, I think that maybe certain kinds of automation are almost like necessary for certain people to just like have a clean brain that can function yeah. and output stuff. I mean, so one thing to, to mention though is I think you're right. A lot of people have just accepted that they'll have all, all these interruptions or a lot of people also accept mm. like, oh yeah, I'm totally fine with having half of my week in calls. And I'm like, what? Like, how do you get yeah, anything what? done? <laughs> so I agree that there's a certain level of tolerance that hmm. people have versus others. But I will say that I think there is an instinct that I've developed over a long period of time to identify what can be removed that a lot of people yeah. haven't developed. Because again, they, they, they're tolerant to it. But the example that yeah. I gave of someone sending out this deck every week, I just noticed it. And I was like, wait, Scott, you literally have you have a meeting that you put on your calendar to allocate time to this, and you do this every week. And I'm like, why? Like, right? You could be why? using that time for something else. And it's also yeah. interruptions. I think context switching is something that people really they know it exists, but they don't really recognize the impact of it and yeah, how much it can. It. Exactly, that's exactly right. They underestimate it. And what I think is, I mentioned an analogy before of doing a cross country bike journey. All of these interruptions are minute where a single instance doesn't matter but imagine on a cross-country bike journey where you're constantly detouring your cause even just for a couple minutes you're like oh yeah. yeah i'll go check this thing out or i'll do this thing and it's it's okay every so often but if it truly is like it permeates your week then you can never really get anything done and we talked about at the end of the day what is productivity it's moving closer to your goals and if you're constantly detouring you're not going to be moving closer to your goals you're just going to be moving right and and not getting any closer to them so i do think automation has a place where it can remove all of that minutia but 
it does take training as in not you yeah. don't need to be a genius but just what i encourage people to do even in the course the one thing the framing that we give is just go through your stuff and ask what can i eliminate what can i automate what can i delegate in that order before what we say is iterating which is what a lot of people think of as productivity is moving faster and if you can even just go into your your day with almost that mentality you do start to see over time that that instinct where you see something and you're like wait a minute do i really have to do this or wait a minute this could totally be a zap and then over time yeah. you start to also it, it becomes a cyclical thing because as you see the impact of the prior things you've done it impacts your your instinct to want to do that more because you realize like oh it's it's so nice that i don't have to do this on friday afternoon right send people this deck so i think over time it becomes more and more of an instinct as you kind of reap the rewards of it yeah but i like your emphasis that this is something that's going to happen over time because i feel like it's very much something that you need to learn and so it reminds me of when I first started teaching people how to use task management apps, like I, this was with OmniFocus, which is an app that has a real database feel to it. Like it just kind of looks and feels like a database. And that came very naturally to me because when I was like 14 or something, I was like in high school and I was the only kid who knew anything about databases because I happened to do like a project where I was building my own content management system. This was like a long time ago, in like 2004 or whatever, something like that, you know? And so I felt like I felt very lucky because from like quite a young age, I got comfortable with like thinking in database terms which not everybody has had that training and so a lot of these things sometimes come simpler to me when I'm like how should I set up my task manager and I kind of feel like the same thing is is the case of what you're saying of being in this habit of basically eliminating stuff if you cannot can you like automate it right if you cannot can you delegate it and a lot of this is the training that I had while working as a consultant as well and so for me these things come naturally but it's not always the case for people. So then the question is, how can you, if you're you know, new to these things, how can you really develop that sense of like, oh yeah, like I need to free up a, a lot of space to focus on my most important work. Again, the deep work that I mentioned earlier, right? Which is where most of the value comes from. I, I think we can give people a little bit of, for, for anybody listening out there who's like, I have a hard time focusing. It's like, this takes practice. Give yourself some time. But yes, like Steph totally. was saying- yeah, start practicing and start thinking about what am I doing on a day-to-day -day basis, on a week-to-week -week basis that I really wish I didn't have to do and how can you get rid of it? Yeah, and like you said, it'll come with time. And we mentioned earlier, you brought up a great point about like relying on other people to support you with that. One of the things that I've noticed a lot is that uh, people generally defer to synchronous activities, right? And yes. Because they're habitual. We're used to interacting with each other at a specific yeah. time when you have an idea, you want to talk to someone then, you want to discuss something at that time. Whereas asynchronous, I think, is actually more effective. So synchronous is habitual. Asynchronous is more effective. But even in my own life, even though I recognize this, I still find myself like, you know, deferring to synchronous activities. But totally within my team, we've kind of acknowledged this. And I, I work with them to hopefully, you know, as if I'm asking them to jump on a call, I want them to be like, hey, Steph, actually, I think this would be better to do as a loom. Or sometimes someone yeah. will come to me and they'll be explaining something and I'll be like, hey, why don't you just record a loom for this? So just prompting each other in really simple ways, because it really, if you're doing it on your own, you're going to forget all the time. But if other people are like, oh, actually, like, you know, you should block off some time here or you should record a loom instead of doing uh, a weekly call, whatever it is, you can start building up those habits because I don't know. I don't remember the exact 
number, I think this has actually been disputed, but it's something like it takes 30 days to build a habit. Well, if you're doing it on your own, you're not going to remember for 30 days in a row, right? And so it does take time for you and the people around you to switch your habits from something like synchronous to asynchronous, but also some of the things that we mentioned, like deferring to automation when it makes sense. Totally. I like that you brought up Loom because I've been meaning to ask you about it. (laughs) And it's such a a fun way of, you know, interacting with people. So for people who don't know, Loom is a app i guess where you can basically record yourself and or your screen and it's great for like i don't know sending short messages to someone so what what are some use cases that you you know use loom for yeah so i use loom for so many things i use loom for training a lot of times so anytime that i am training someone on my team about something instead of again the the synchronous version of that where not only do both of us have to be aligned at the same time but it it basically is an instant and then it disappears in the sense that they have heard me and of course we can record it and all that but for future training sessions if someone else asks me oh well then I have to jump on with them again so it it helps create this evergreen piece of information that I can then share easily and also store I've seen several people I think David Perel does this where he he shared in his newsletter once that he has this just like hundreds of kind of SOPs, like operating procedures, even micro things like this is how you add someone to a database. And he's just recorded those in, I think, Looms, but maybe uses another tool. And he just has those so that if anyone ever does need to learn about something, they don't need to ping him. Similarly, on my team, they don't need to ping me. They just know where to go and they can actually access that information asynchronously. Similarly, I think one element of asynchronous um, communication is that you need to be more prepared and that's a good thing i think the same yes. thing is true where for example i know clubhouse had kind of like a rise and fall the reason that <laughs> i i early on will say that i wasn't a big fan of clubhouse is because personally when i went on there i was like most of this material isn't good because asynchronous it's, yeah environments There's actually put, prep exactly put the onus on the creator to make it good versus synchronous yeah. environments put the onus on the listener to find something right. good and so in, in the case of the reason I'm bringing this up is I also use something like Loom where, for example, sometimes people will reach out to me and they'll say, not like a podcast recording, but they'll say, hey, could you answer questions about X, Y, or Z? Sometimes they'll say no, but sometimes they'll say, yeah, sure, like happy to answer your questions. They'll be like, okay, can you schedule a, meet- a 30-minute meeting? And I go, actually, could you send me over you know, your, your list of questions and I'll record a Loom for you? Because actually that's yeah. better for them too. They've prepared, so they make sure they're asking the best questions. I can prepare a little bit and think through my answers. And then they have, again, this evergreen version of it. It's transcribed. They can revisit it. They can re-listen to it. They can take parts of it. They can share parts of it. So I also use Loom as a way to to kind of get back to people. And of course, we mentioned batching before. You can batch Looms. That's another great part is instead of throughout my day, people asking me for things and feeling the need to like have a call here or answer someone there, I have... I have like a running list of looms I want to create. And then I sit down at the end of the day, record five looms, send them out to people. And then I can batch my work as well, which I think we talked about context switching. That's another, I think, really uh, powerful part of loom if it's used properly. It's also just way more efficient to like record a 30 minute video, like when it makes sense for you rather than to have a 30 minute meeting. Because like yeah. for me, if I see that even there's a 30 minute meeting in my afternoon, that might mean that an hour before that, I don't start recording some YouTube video that I want to do or whatever, yeah, exactly. or, you know, just because there's that thing at a fixed time and you don't want to cancel on people, you don't want to reschedule too often. So, you know, so I think 
just in terms of efficiency for for time scheduling as well. I really love this. And, and as I'm mentioning time scheduling, it's actually something I wanted to talk you talk to you about because you just just seeing if I can get this straight. So you got your full time work. You also recently created a course doing time right. I think. Then yep. you created a resource. I don't know if we can call it a book doing content right. Yeah. At some point, you run a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So bunch of stuff. How do you? sort that time into the week do you say you know what all that other stuff goes on the weekends or do you like because you mentioned you use time blocking but is that like a schedule that's pretty similar each week is it very ad hoc how does how do you do this it's very ad hoc for the most part so i try to make time for my personal projects because as i talked about if you don't time block or make time for something it's never going to happen but as i mentioned for any big project that i'm pursuing i don't pursue it consistently throughout several months i realize that See, they're going to be kind of like now or never. If I'm if I'm excited mm. about something, I want to create it quickly. I want to get it out there. And so, yeah. in those cases, it like I said, the the course took a couple weeks. The book took yeah. seven weeks, so a, a little longer. But I I really really constrain it so I can just get it done. So it is really ad hoc. When something comes to mind, I'm just like, let me let me basically set an arbitrary deadline and just work <laughs> really hard during that period. Yeah. Outside of those periods, it's a lot more flexible and it's a lot more just like whenever I want to work on something because my my personal projects are, are fun for me, right? So the podcast is interesting because that is something that people do count on you f- more for like a consistent basis. But even mm-hmm. then, if you listen to it, we did a 30-day challenge. After that challenge, we have been very inconsistent. That's actually something that I have spoken to not just with podcasting, but a lot of creators are told, you know, you need to be really consistent. Like, you know, if you newsletter, you got to, you got to publish. this is nonsense. Exactly. Yeah. So I was going to say that I think maybe at the beginning, like that's why we did the 30 day challenge for our podcast sure. to yeah. just like set up the habit for yourself as a creator to right. show up. I think that's important for you to build that muscle. But after that, it's not like someone's waiting around waiting for my podcast, right? No. Like, no one cares. What they care about is that when they're delivered content, it's really, really good. And so I'm relating this back to productivity in the sense that you asked, like, is my schedule regimented? Yes, I block off time in certain cases, but I actually think what's most important is that you you work when you're on. And that sounds really fuzzy, but really when, you, when you're inspired yeah. by something, when you're, like, excited to really dig into something, that's when I think you can get a lot more really high quality work done versus when you're just like forced to. I think, have you heard the Naval quote about working like a lion versus a cow? I have not, no. Okay, so really simply, it's the fact that most people in the way that we work again, because society is kind of structured this way, they work like cows, which means that, you know, they're just always on. If you think about a cow, they're grazing, they're always eating. Because they're always eating, they're eating just kind of like low quality grass. So they have like nine stomachs or something to process this. It's just a really inefficient system. And instead, what lions do is they say, you know what, most of the time I'm not working, right? But when I'm when I'm on, when I'm going and hunting, they wake up, they they sprint, they get what they need done, and then they have this high quality meat, much better than the you know the grass that um, the the cows are grazing for, and they they don't need nine stomachs to process this because they're they're just really efficient, right? They got something high quality that they they sprinted for, and. Most people, because of the way our society works, they work the kind of classic 40-hour work week, nine to five. They're grazing throughout the day. And yeah. so it doesn't matter if they did a one-hour sprint. They still have to hang around for the rest of the day. So people are just, yeah, they're kind of grazing. <laughs> I, I can speak right. for myself. When I worked in consulting, I did a lot of great work, but a lot of the time I was grazing. Yep. Instead, Same. what's more, much more effective is this kind of like lion sprint behavior where when you're on, 
when you're excited, when you have something to, to pursue and you, and you have the energy to pursue it, you go pursue it and you crush it. And then outside of that, you relax, right? And so I would say that more so represents how I did things. Or again, I, I'll like really, really sprint for a project. And then outside of that, it is really, really flexible. And I don't feel the need to really always be working on my personal projects. Yeah, but I like your emphasis on, you know, sprinting, not 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 because of the fake deadlines, which you know, I wanted to mention that. So so for someone like me, that doesn't work. And you also mentioned time blocking. That's also not a technique that works for me, interestingly. For me, that's related to my history with burnout and stress. I just, my number one sort of challenge in life is getting overly stressed. And so yeah, setting fake deadlines is just a terrible thing for me. And, and actually, that's something that I always talk to people is like, you got to know yourself a little bit, you know, to yeah, like absolutely. be able to be sort of the most productive version of you, or at least to sort of hit your goals. Because just because like your favorite productivity guru says time blocking is good doesn't mean it's going to work for you like it works really well for some people and not for me you know but but I do like the the sprinting in the sense of excitement which is something that you said right so when you're excited with a project so someone who I had on my podcast before Steve Pavlina he he always says that there's a certain energy with a certain project and it has a half-life so he says when whether it's a blog post idea he has or an idea for a course or whatever he's like you gotta jump on it because it has a half-life and it's gonna die out you know so if you wait three weeks to like sort of act on your blog post idea by the time that you sit down you're like I don't want to write this anymore yes, like it's exactly. not fun absolutely and you've heard of like the Lindy effect right it's kind of like a version of that where so the Lindy effect is is basically that however long something's been around, the more likely that it'll continue to be around. But you can kind of take like <laughs> a version of that, which it, it is actually like you can yeah. Google. It's like it, it is like a, a well-researched oh, phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can kind of take the like a different version of that, which like you said, I heard I heard this, I think, from Mark, who, who runs WIP, which is a community I'm part of. But he tweeted about this years mm. ago, but I remember him doing so. And it was something along the lines of like the longer that you put off creating something as in like your idea that you at one point were excited about yeah. the more likely that you will never create it right so the, yep. the the bigger delta there is like you said it's just this, this excitement that dies down but it's also like yeah. the initial insight i think disappears as well like i know for example i've had certain blog articles that i'm really excited to write and then weeks or months later i go and revisit them and i'm like i don't even remember quite what i was trying to say here exactly you just forget yeah yeah yeah, no, totally agree. And so I actually really appreciate you bringing this up because for me, it's it's that's kind of what's going on with my current business also. It's like I think I've been teaching the same things for a couple of years now and like the excitement is not there anymore, you know? So for, for people listening, it's like, you know, if you go buy my courses, you'll see Peter from some time ago. I mean, I update my courses. So there's videos from three years ago, videos from like six months ago, whatever. And so I'm still able sometimes to like do the work, but like the excitement definitely isn't there. So I've, I've been thinking about what can I do as sort of a next business opportunity. And, and I mentioned this because it is really relevant to productivity. You know, a lot of the, like I'm having trouble lately Okay, so you could say lately I've been having trouble being productive for my productivity business. Very ironic. But so I don't actually see that as a lack of productivity. I just see it as a lack of excitement. I think that's a much better way of looking at it. And I think sometimes people are like, yeah, I've had this job. I've been in this job for 12 years, but I feel like I'm at blah, blah. It's like maybe your problem is not that you don't know how to manage your time or whatever. Maybe your problem is just that like you don't give a crap about this yeah, stuff. Yeah, seriously. You know? Yeah. And so, and so there's some introspection that is required and there's all kinds of things you could do. You could journal, you can meditate, whatever. You can like go on a vacation and like stare into the sea. You know, there's all kinds of things you can do for introspection, but sometimes that's the answer, right? Oh, um, totally. I mean, I, about it. I mentioned the bike journey before and, and remember I said that 
at the end of the day, if you don't make your way across the country, it's not because your bike shuts down. Like it may, you might get a flat tire, but you can repair that. At the end of the day, yeah. it's because you don't want to, sh- you don't want to keep going, right? You don't want to yeah. show up anymore. You just decide, ah, oh, this was fun, but no longer fun anymore. Which is fine. Exactly. Yeah. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But to your point, like a lot of people focus on things like moving faster with productivity, but at the end of the day, if you don't want to get do the thing, you're never going to accomplish your goals and there is a balance which i think is hard to balance sometimes between like the honeymoon period of a project that dying out and then you still sticking with it because at the end of the day we talked about like how most projects need to be long-term in nature for you to really like see the outputs but there is an element of where yes you, you absolutely need to be introspective and decide like am i just doing this because of inertia or do i actually really enjoy this and if you're just doing something because of inertia you're just you're really probably going to be quite ineffective because it's really hard to show up and it just takes so much more energy for you to actually do, you know, the, the task at hand. And so, yeah, I think it's really important that people are aware of that because that can be the biggest productivity color of them all. And like you said, sometimes people don't even realize that and they're asking about other things, not realizing that really motivation is the, the major driver of any productivity. Yeah. Should I use a new or should I use a different task management app, Peter, is one that I yeah. get a lot because I tend to talk about that. And I'm like, well, probably not. Really answer- <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. Answer- it's nice of you to email me, but I can't really answer this question without going into a lot of depth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Um, so so what is something that you're, you've been really excited about recently? So I am actually very interested in podcasting these days. We started a podcast recently and I'm interested in podcasting because I think so I've talked to several people in my career. I've had different jobs. And what I've mm-hmm. realized about myself is this is obviously oversimplified, but there's people who really like the zero to one stage, people who like the one to 10 stage and the people who like the 10 to 100. So the zero to one is starting something from scratch. One to 10 is, yeah. is getting something off the ground so it's healthy and it's thriving. And then the third one is like, how do you make this thing huge and, and really stable? Yeah. I love the first two stages. I hate the third stage and I'm raising I think, my hand here people can't see that but i'm raising my hand because i'm the same way <laughs> exactly yeah so i mean what i realized about projects is sometimes i get through the, the zero to one stage and i like it but then it doesn't really have the potential to keep growing and there's yeah. as we've talked about like i lose motivation because there's no more problems to solve but the thing that i right. find so fascinating about podcasting right now is not only can i focus on the zero to one stage of just starting a podcast and figuring out all the logistics there but no one to say let me know if someone exists i mean you read a podcast but i have not found someone who truly has like cracked the podcast you know code of of figuring out most podcasts most huge podcasts either have a huge individual following as in someone like joe rogan brought his following or Mm -hmm. they have a huge network like iheart or npr or barstool behind them so this is obviously not fully true. I've, I'm sure a lot of people have built kind of successful podcasts, but I want to figure out, and I've talked to so many people who even have big podcasts today, how you grow a podcast. Like, what is the system? What is the framework? What are the tools? Because I've grown other types of businesses, but those have a lot more analytics. They have just like different systems that allow you to have mm-hmm. the, the right feedback. And so I'm fascinated by podcasts these days because I also think even though they're taking off, they're actually a lot earlier than people think. As in there's still yeah. a huge wave to come. I think there's going to yeah. be a huge wave of tools as well. Like I mentioned, analytics is definitely um, 
very scarce in this space compared to other things. Definitely. And so anyway, that's just a, a very simple, not unique thing that I'm working on, but I, I'm actually really fascinated with podcasts these days and hopefully figuring out, the, you know, cracking the code and, and growing one from the ground up without, you know, a huge network or something like that behind it. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, that that's what fascinated me. I mean, the, the reason, you know, just to be super honest here, the reason that I launched my podcast is just because it like is a great excuse to talk to people. Right, <laughs> people exactly. Are, people are more likely to say yes to like, hey, you want to come on my podcast than like, hey, you want to chat? <laughs> so, yeah, totally. Um, no, but uh, but I totally hear you. So I'm curious what about podcasts interests you specifically? And let me let me tell you why I ask this. So I was in the bookstore the other day and I saw a book and the cover said, Get TikTok Famous Fast. So obviously I had to buy this book because I thought that was a fantastic title for a book. And I, I, I read it in like 30 minutes. It's very short. But it's very interesting because it talked about like TikTok as a platform of reaching people and discussing topics and whatever, you know, sharing what it is that you learn. It's just so easy to get gigantic amounts of people to like consume your content. Whereas for podcasting, it's not like that. Podcasting, especially when you're starting out and if you're not, you know, like I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Okay, if you're the Philadelphia Eagles and you start a podcast, yeah, you're instantly going to have a gazillion listeners, right? But if you're like, you know, someone like me or whatever, you don't have that. And so you can start and you'll start with modest numbers. So it's a bit slower, I think, to start a podcast. I think it's fair to say that compared with something like TikTok, you know. So why choose podcasting as a medium then? What about that appeals to you? Yeah, so I mean, there's like kind of a more scientific answer and more of also just like I find them interesting answer. So the more yeah. scientific answer is that I think what's so interesting about audio in particular and podcasts is obviously a slice of that, a major slice of that, is that yeah. if you think about something like YouTube or TikTok, it's the, people have a certain amount of time that they can allocate to actually like fully actively investing in a piece of entertainment, right? And yeah. Netflix is included in that, but it's it's really when you're actively paying attention to something, when you're looking at something on your phone, you're scrolling through TikTok is active. The thing that I find fascinating about audio is it's a lot of the time passive, right? Ever since, and I also find certain um, storylines, if you look back at how all this happened, really important technological changes as simple as the fact that people got airpods that yeah, unlocked people's AirPods, ability yeah. yeah ability to actually passively listen to things so i love following yeah. these trends about like what actually allowed us to start passively listening and mm -hmm. i think there's just so much time throughout your day for example like i listen to podcasts when i'm on a run or doing dishes or cleaning or yeah. just doing all of these other things that i can now fill that time with like multitasking essentially and so it's not so much that I know that people can get huge on, on TikTok overnight and that, you know, there's obviously like an element of like, oh, like, could I do that? But I just find the medium itself. And also the interesting thing about audio that I find so great is you spend so long with people, right? So you, so people really like if, yes. if you listen to a podcaster, you feel like you know them. I don't think that's as yeah. true with other mediums. And so I I find that fascinating. And I that's the kind of audience that I also want to build, right? Where people, even if they don't know me, they feel like they know me and they they right. know more of me at depth versus like a quick TikTok video where, you know, people joke that they're dancing. But there's also a lot of TikTok niches where they talk about all types of things like American history or like dental or it's it's crazy the number of niches on TikTok. But that's why I'm interested in audio. And I also think that even though everyone and their mom is starting a podcast these days, I still think the infrastructure in audio is quite early. And even if you just think about mm -hmm. 
two things. One of them, the tooling and the other one, the formats. So on the tooling end, if you think about all the different tools, whether it's the analytics tools, transcription tools, if it's search engines, all of these things in terms of discoverability and the ability to engage with a podcast are so early compared to something like a a video, like YouTube. Yeah, Where totally. I'm just excited to see how that progresses, but then also on formats, right? So if you think about all the different formats that exist on YouTube, so you have something like people will do product reviews, but they'll also vlog, right? They'll just like walk through their day with you. There's mm-hmm. so many different types of formats that exist in video content and written content that I haven't seen as much in podcasting. So that makes me excited because I think that, we, you know, we're doing an interview style podcast. This is the most common type of podcast right. that I think I'm really interested to see how this, again, expands to all the different types of formats that can exist because I think just in general podcasting is, as I've said, seems like it's saturated, but I think it's actually really early and we're going to see a lot of innovation in the space. Yeah, no, and I I think you're totally right. Podcasting is just such a, you know, I feel like it has a ton of potential, right? It's like you're saying, you feel like you get to know people. Like I listened to, have you listened to Hardcore History by Dan Carlin? I've listened to episodes so long ago, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the most popular podcasts out there, right? Exactly. And so so every time there's a new episode, I'm like, oh, my friend Dan is <laughs> over again to like tell me about World War II in the Pacific or something, <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's like, it really feels that way. And so what I really like about your answer is you've clearly thought about this. You know what I'm saying? And so th- to me, this is actually very interesting because one of the things I always like to tell people in any kind of productivity work that I do is like understand why you're doing things. So like you saying... I like podcasting because I can be with people for some time. It's very intimate. You're, in, you're directly in people's ears, you know what I'm saying? But like longer form content than TikTok, right? And so often when I'm asking people like, why is this your goal or whatever? There, there's no there's no values behind it. There's no, you know, feelings. And so I just appreciate this as an excellent example of like, hey, the reason you started a podcast and not a TikTok channel or a YouTube yeah. channel. Or I don't know. Maybe you have, maybe you also have those. I don't know. No, there's, I don't. I'm not on TikTok, but I probably will be at some point. I mean, I think it's really, really important what you said, though, because I hear all the time. So I'm more in the content space, but all the time people are like, oh, I think I should start a newsletter. And I'm like, okay, why? why? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they don't really have a reason other than like, oh, I saw a lot of other people start newsletters or it seems like there's money in newsletters. And I'm like, well, do you have yeah. anything interesting to say? And that's not me judging them, but as in specifically, like, do you feel like you have something to say about a particular topic? Yeah. Because that's what a newsletter is. You're transferring information. You're making points about certain topics. And often, again, whether it's individual or I've also seen this at companies, they'll be like, oh, we should have a blog. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you probably should, but not because you should have a blog, but because you have some sort of thought leadership or, you know, right. some insight unique that you, you want to to share with people. So anyway, I, I'm totally on the same page with you on that. Yeah. And and I think it, it depends on like, who are you trying to reach and what are you trying to talk about? Right. So one of the podcasts that I listen to sometimes now is a scuba diving podcast. So it's just these people who own a scuba diving shop. And they're like, you know, should you buy this new type of scuba gear or whatever? However, it's very smart of them. This is both a podcast and a YouTube video. So like right now you and I are recording only audio, you know, but for something like that, they often have stuff to show. So they're doing it on a, you know, it's it's both, right? You can find yeah. it on YouTube as well. And I just really like seeing when people thought about something and they're doing something in the right way. Because like you're saying, most people are just like, oh, I hear TikTok's taking off. I should probably do something on TikTok, right? But again, exactly. that's, that's kind of like the solution looking for a problem. Yep, 100%. And I mean, TikTok is I, like... 
it's crazy how quickly it people is. can skyrocket there. But I also, we talked before about like having a long-term vision. And I think a lot of people are chasing those like quick hits. And that's yeah. great if you get them. But at the same time, when I think about a lot of the people who are famous on TikTok today, some of them will still be famous or that's, I'm not saying being famous is my goal, but some of them will still be relevant in five years, but a lot of them won't be because of the quick hit nature where people aren't really buying into them or what they're producing. They're, they're kind of like buying into that very, very um, short-lived piece of interest versus what I'm trying to build is something that withstands time, right? So even though I may switch platforms every so often, I'm trying to build something that's a little cohesive and something that, you know, yeah. People who listen to me today will hopefully also still be interested in what I'm doing or building in five years. So that's my personal approach. It's not to say that other people who are focused on more transient things, it's not that they're wrong, but that's, as you mentioned, like I've thought about this and that's why I've I've chosen this approach. And I also agree with you that other people should make sure that they're thinking about like why this platform, why this approach, why these topics before just being like, oh, it's like I'm I'm just doing a newsletter because everyone else is. Yeah, well, that, that'll be a nice um, place to end this podcast then with two more questions. One of them being, what is your long-term vision, Steph? <laughs> uh, that's a good question because remember I said that I, I both have some kind of long-term goals, but then I don't yes. really look that much further out. So take it yeah. with a grain of salt because I think anything that I say today will probably not be we'll what, I'm working, to it. You know, what I'm <laughs> able to achieve in 10, 20, 30 years. But I think over time, so there's there's kind of like elements to it. I want to build something that, you know, some people are driven by fame. Some people are driven by money. I think I'm driven mm. by some element of legacy. And it's not so much that I want to be known after I'm dead, but I want to feel like when I die, I actually had some sort of, you know, impact on the world. Yes. And so I think I actually, as we talked about, did my degree in chemical engineering. I basically, I want to build an audience and make enough money such that I can actually probably go back more so into the sciences. And, Interesting. you know, the the... the kind of current topic that is at the height of my attention in a lot of people's is climate change. So I think that's probably something that I'm going to focus on in the very, very long term. So I'm not talking in the next year, or maybe even five years or 10 years, but that's, that is my like long-term goal. But in order to get there, I realize there's kind of, you know, hoops I need to jump through on the way. I can make a yeah. lot bigger of an impact if I have a lot of money or a lot of influence yeah. than had I, I actually, during my degree, I worked in a lot of kind of academic labs. I was working on climate change focused stuff and nothing wrong with those people who are doing that. I actually really like, you know, value the work that they do. But I kind of have thought about my life and like, how can I amass more of that audience and 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 money so that I can go back and kind of make a bigger impact in the areas that I think are important. So that's kind of high level what I'm thinking of, which probably means along the way, I will start a company at some point in terms of what that company looks like. I don't know. But I guess that those are kind of some big building blocks that I'm thinking about. It's amazing that you say this because I'm just nodding because that's exactly my plan. Basically, oh, I didn't great. study the chemical engineering, <laughs> but like that's that's the realization that I had in the past three months of being, you know, away from work and reflecting on my life. And I'm like, really, I want to do something to contribute to the fight against climate change. And like, it's the same thing as you. It's nice that I have this current business. Now I'm just kind of seeing it as like funding something that I care a lot more about. So I don't know. I I wish you a lot of luck with that. You, if you too. Come up with some, yes. If you come up with some amazing ways uh, to do something about that to contribute, let me know. It's uh, it's you, you know I, I think just on a very serious note, it's like productivity is a very interesting 
topic. I, I love to talk, you know, like you've got your, your course where you're helping people with their time management and everything. And these, these are things that mean a lot okay. to a lot of people. Some people really, really feeling the pain because they're not organized or whatever. <laughs> I guess it's just, to me, it feels like a bit scattershot, you know, like the, the people I'm helping are people going in all kinds of random directions. And so for me, like I'm interested in having a little bit more focus. And it's nice to hear that you're, you sort of have something that you're working towards at least eventually as well. Yeah. So. I mean, definitely. It's hard to forecast out that far, but I think, you know, you mentioned that you love talking about productivity. And I think it's actually such an important topic that sometimes not in the case of you, but sometimes comes across as fuzzy, but it is really like yeah. the underpinning of society, right? Like if we're able to achieve these like goals of, of solving climate change or, yeah. you know, ending poverty or all of these like really audacious goals, what underpins that is a shit ton of people and how they spend their time, right? Right. And and that's why productivity, again, like I, I can completely resonate when sometimes it seems really fluffy. But at the end of the day, if we don't hit our goals, it's because of how we spend our time, not because yeah. there are these big, big, really fundamental blockers outside of ourselves. So it's more internal and external. So I do think these conversations are important. And every so often when people listen to maybe it's this podcast or maybe it's other things related to productivity, they do have an aha moment. And that can actually fundamentally change how they spend their time, which yeah. impacts how they spend their life. No, absolutely. I think that's, that's a lovely note to end on. Thank you very much, Steph. Is there anything in particular that you would like the listeners to check out? And of course, we will make sure to put all the links to your bio and whatever in the show notes. Sure. I guess we talked about a couple of them. So I do have a podcast if you're interested. It's um, about all different types of topics. It's called the Shit mm -hmm. You Don't Learn in School podcast. <laughs> As we talked about before, it's about all different topics because it keeps me interested. If it was about one mm -hmm. really rigid topic, I think I wouldn't want to keep showing up. But that's a podcast that you can listen to where we talk about topics that you often don't learn in school, but are important things like productivity, actually. So you can find that at keeplearning.buzzsprout.com. We really have to get it on a better domain. Or you can just <laughs> Google the shit you don't learn in school podcast. You can find basically all of my other projects as well at my site, which is stephsmith.io. And as we talked about, I did create a course. It's at doingtimeright.com or the book we mentioned as well is at doingcontentright.com. And the final thing is I'm most active on Twitter. So if you have any questions, want to DM me, it's, my handle is stephsmithio. Perfect. I'll make sure all of those are in the show notes. And awesome. uh, thank you very much, Steph, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, if you like the show, subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you'll never miss an episode. We'd also love it if you rated the show on Apple Podcasts. To find out more about Peter or about today's guest, check out the show notes. Thank you for joining us on this episode of How They Get Stuff Done.